Welcome to the fifth season of Better News, a series of special podcasts It's All Journalism is producing in partnership with the American Press Institute. I'm your host, Michael O'Connell. Better News offers strategies and case studies to help transform newsrooms. The effort is fueled by the American Press Institute and the Knight Lenfest Local News Transformation Fund. The goal of this podcast series is to highlight some of the useful research the American Press Institute has published as part of its Better News initiative. If you want more information about the initiative, visit betternews.org. Better News recently published a piece about Substantial Magazine's journey to sustainable revenue and growth through partnerships and highly selective content for targeted audiences. Greg Hedgepath, president and CEO of Substantial Media LLC, a black-owned and operated online subscription-based platform, is here to talk about it. Greg, welcome to the Better News Podcast. Michael, thank you so much for having me. Thank you so much. It's an honor and, and I'm humbled both by that Better News article and then this opportunity to speak with you about what we're doing down here in North Carolina with Substantial. As I mentioned before, we turn on the microphones. I don't know what's in the water in, in North Carolina, but we do talk to a lot of forward-thinking journalists doing really interesting things. But first off, tell me a little bit about yourself. You know, what put you on the road and brought you to your current role at Substantial Media? So first and foremost, I'm a North Carolina native. I was born and raised in Halifax County, North Carolina, which is one of our poorest rural areas, rural counties in the state. And I like to also share that I'm a first generation everything, first generation college student, first generation business owner, first to do a lot, right, in my family. And I'm just one of those folks that, you know, just continuously strives to be the best version of itself every day. And in doing that, I think I've made a pretty good career over time, as we shared, but before we turn the mics on, I'm currently serving a number of roles outside of just the head of where with Substantial. So I am by trade a uh, marketing and communications professional. I've been in higher education, marketing communications for the past 18 and a half years, but I also wear the hat of adjunct professor, community advocate, social entrepreneur. I'm a husband, a father of two beautiful little girls. And what really got me, if you will, active and brought me to this space of substantial was, again, being a first generation, everything. It's not often that I have the opportunities to see and hear the stories of really successful people that I can tangibly reach out and touch, right? And so, so often when I think about major metropolitan areas or, you know, the successes or the success stories of professional basketball players and, you know, other athletes and professional business owners and different things. Those stories to me seem to be unreachable, right? Those goals seem to be unachievable. And especially coming from the space that I came from. And one of the things that I wanted to do was figure out a way to tell the stories of those local heroes and sheroes those people that were doing substantial things out in communities across North Carolina that, again, if someone else was reading this or seeing this information, they too felt as though that was obtainable, that they too could and can. And so that was kind of what got me to this space, right? If I can just elaborate, I'm a creative. Like I grew up in this space of creativity, you know, whether it was photography, videography, just general storytelling, and I wanted to use that those talents, right, to contribute something that was a little bit bigger than myself. Cool. And actually, you know, you're describing what you've done and your journey and the many hats that you wear. You know, I see a lot of people like that, the people who, you know, get charged and get inspired and aren't just doing one thing. They're doing a variety of things for a lot of the same reasons that, 
you know, the fact that you're involved in the university, you started your own company, you know, that's all coming out of your sort of forward movement in the world and your focus. So what is Substantial Media's mission and who's the audience you're trying to serve? Our mission is simple. It is to amplify positive stories within black and brown communities. We usually had at the end of that across North Carolina, but now what we're seeing is we ourselves continue to venture out beyond the borders of our state. We're just simply here to, to spread positive stories within black and brown communities across the world, right? For us, it's about raising awareness in regards to relevant issues that directly impact our communities of color, uh, whether that be on a local, state, or national level. And so that's our mission, is to build awareness and scream to the world how substantial Black people, Black stories, Black communities are. And like I mentioned, our audience has typically been based out of North Carolina, right? They're community advocates. We find in through surveys and just in our general kind of talking with people, you know, our audience has a high level of social consciousness, right? They are community advocates. They are business owners. They're mid-level employees that are continuously looking to advance in their careers and in their life. Very similar to how I talked about, right? Just every day trying to figure out what I can do to make my substantial mark in the world. That's our reader. That's the people that we're catering a lot of our content toward. And it's interesting what you're sort of talking about, telling good, positive stories. This isn't like a, you know, like a happy talk or a, we just have rose-colored glasses, because a lot, lot of the conversation I hear around um, getting black voices out there, black stories out there, is to sort of counter maybe narratives from the past where the perception of covering the black community was about either around crime or or maybe economic or health issues, which obviously are all important but actually expanding the scope of the coverage, that that's not the only story that that community has to tell. And I know we've talked about this a couple of times on the Better News podcast. I'm thinking of the one we did earlier this season about the uh, website that covers HBCU sports and um, also the, um, oh, I can't remember it, but the online site in Atlanta, which is covering entertainment and the arts. So, I mean, it sounds like a really smart way to say to that community, hey, you know, you've got a story to tell, or you want to read those types of stories, you know, we're the people to do that. Yes, like if I can, it, you mentioning that it brings about a conversation that I just recently had in regards to like us not being kind of that traditional news outlet, right? And also yet not being that very traditional Black-owned magazine, if you will, right? I know we've got our big giants out there, but we don't typically focus on that kind of trendy conversation or the Hollywood who's who's. It's more obtainable for us. Our role is to kind of abstract the substance of some popular conversations and beliefs and things that are happening right now in introducing this notion of changing the narrative or shifting the mindset in ways that kind of give us the ability to do that in long form kind of features and storytelling. So I appreciate you for mentioning that. Yeah, I mentioned Substantial Magazine in the introduction, which is the focus of the piece you wrote for Better News. What other platforms or ways are you engaging your audience? Oftentimes, I like to tell people we don't only tell stories, we connect people. Right. And so whether that is through podcast or a lot of our user experience events, if you will, like we host a number of virtual and in-person events 
that give us the opportunity to not only connect with people, but give people an opportunity to connect with other like-minded people. It also provides us an opportunity to grow our audience even more. And we'll talk about, I'm sure, that a little bit more in detail. But at the end of the day, for us, it's like reinforcing the significance of the Black experience, educating and empowering the next generation. And we do that through, like I said, podcasting. We do that through, you know, live streaming via social media platforms, whether it's LinkedIn or Facebook Live. When we host events like our, you know, uh, Black Lens Symposiums or the National Black Student Leadership Conference, or we're in partnership with other organizations and institutions across North Carolina to host, you know, substantial conversations in spaces that we otherwise maybe wouldn't have shown up in. That's not how we really connect for the most part with our audience outside of our, you know, traditional print and digital kind of publication platform. Now you mentioned events. Can you give me an example of what type of events you've hosted? No, absolutely. And again, I go back to like our Black Lens Symposium, which is an opportunity. It's an annual event that we hosted that brought together Black leaders, Black advocates, thought leaders from across the state, as well as nationally. We had Ben Crump as one of our keynote speakers for the Black Lens Symposium a few years past. And that was an opportunity for us to come together and really talk about the status of the Black experience in America. And that was, you know, an event very similar to like a symposium, a conference style event that anyone would attend that lended itself to panel conversations, one-on-one conversations that took place during networking opportunities. There were opportunities for us to have, again, keynote addresses from folks that, you know, otherwise may not have been, we wouldn't have had access to or shown up in our spaces And so that was one. The National Black Student Leadership Conference is an annual conference that's held to bring historically Black colleges and universities, as you mentioned a moment ago, from across the nation together in Raleigh and pour into the next generation of leadership, all of the skills and and resources that they would need to go out and be successful in what I would consider a seriously competitive America, right? Seriously competitive world. And so for us, that was an opportunity or an event that we feel kind of, again, builds audience, but it also lends itself to the reason why we do this in the first place, which is to connect those people, to connect the stories and showcase just how substantial we are. I remember, if I can, just real quickly, one of the student testimonials, and they said, hey, listen, this doesn't happen in the space that I grew up in or you know, coming here today, I am inspired to go out and pursue this career path because I didn't even know that someone that looked like me was in this field or in this space. We do our Lens Refocus event, which is all geared toward Black women, women of color, and partnering with, you know, our women business centers or in partnering with our minority economic development centers. We're working to do different kind of community roundtables, talking about the challenges and struggles of being a Black business owner in certain spaces, and then also providing resources while there to kind of educate and they go out and hopefully be able to implement to move their businesses forward. That's pretty cool. You know, in doing research about this interview, you know, I came across the, the phrase described as substantial lifestyle. What is that? You know, how do you describe that? 
So when I think about the definition of that word, I'll never forget how we came up with the name. So our team all had got together and we were just kind of brainstorming. Oh man, this is a really great idea. We should do this. You know, the generic kind of SWOT analysis of, you know, what are our strengths? What are our weaknesses? What opportunities do we have? What competition and, and threats are out there and all that stuff. And I was like, well, first and foremost, y'all, like we got to have a name. We've got to have <laughs> something that just... You know, we've got our ebonies and our essences and our jets and black enterprises and all of that. And that's great. I said, but I want the name of this thing to hit. And being a marketing and communications guy by trade, right? For me, it's, you know, what's the sale? What sounds sexy? And so I said, I want it to be substantial. And everybody pauses for a moment and they're like, and so we, we literally in that moment, Google the word substantial. And it was like <laughs> of considerable importance, size and worth being strongly built and made the essentials of something. And we were like, that's it. That is what it means to be Black. That's what it means to exist in Black community. That is what it means to be a Black business owner. That's our motivations. That's our goals. That's what we're achieving, this notion of being substantial. And so for us, you know, we go out and we're always saying it's on every t-shirt we go out in community with, we are substantial. And so is our community. We are substantial. And so is our purpose. We are substantial. And so are our stories. We are substantial. So is our, it just, it's endless. And so for us, living a substantial lifestyle is this idea of motivating people to exist in the spaces that they exist in, achieve the things that they achieve and know that it's important that it matters, right? And so that's kind of what it means to live a substantial lifestyle. So tell me about, you know, how you foster partnerships. I mean, that was part of what you wrote about for Better News. You know, how do you identify potential partners and how do you help each other to succeed? Yeah, no, it's a great question. And for us, it always starts with having a reason to establish the relationship in the first place. You know, it's about alignment. It's about timing. It's about shared values. You know, not only how substantial can benefit, but how can substantial add value to the partnership? So often we tend to race and run into partnerships with people. And I never want to have this sense of own, like I owe you something, right? There's this mutual beneficial reason why we're connecting and sharing space and doing and building together. And so for us, when we think about those partnerships, we're one looking for those shared values, but then we're also looking at how is this partner viewing substantial as we come to the table? Because as I just mentioned to you, our audience comes with a high level of education. They're socially conscious. They are our community advocates. They're our business owners. They are substantial. And so as we now build this partnership, we're giving you access to that and you in turn and hope are giving us access to something, right? That helps us either further build that audience, that connection, that reach, and not only just this sense of generating revenue, if that makes sense. And so we're oftentimes looking at how that relationship is mutually beneficial, not necessarily transactional, right? Because the hope is that if it's transformational, you now view our, 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 our audience, our community in a different way. Thus, wanting to further build that relationship and partnership that becomes less one-on-one, -on -one, one time transactional and more, you know, again, just kind of long-term in its effort. Does that make sense? Yeah. Looking at it strictly from a business perspective, obviously you want to be able to create revenue, but actually by identifying 
partners who would value your audience, but who also may have some audience or some aspect that would benefit you by working with them, then it becomes less about, you know, oh, we were hired to do this job and more about we're partnering to achieve something together. But anyway, to the business point of it, where does the revenue generation fit into this model? Yeah, no, that's a great question. And I appreciate you for extracting that point. I tell my team oftentimes there are so many more important things than making money, but it takes money to do all those very important <laughs> things. Uh, and so when I think about- Every person discovers when they become an adult. <laughs> that's it. That's it. Absolutely. And so when I think about the many ways we generate revenue that fall outside the normal readership and, and subscription generated revenue, it's these partnerships, right? It's building a relationship and getting these institutions, organizations to understand the value of working with substantial, because that's going to be key to us being able to sustain our operation. So I think about branded content partnerships with folks like the African-American Alliance of CDFI CEOs. That partnership came to be simply because we were saying, hey, look, we know that a lot of our audience are minority women business owners. They're entrepreneurs that want to know how to manage their financials, to grow their financials, to sustain their businesses, so forth and so on. The Alliance's entire reason for existence is to ensure that there is capital being invested in Black spaces or in underrepresented communities. And so we approached one another with this understanding that, hey, we've got an audience, you've got a thing. How do we educate? How do we build awareness? How do we inform? And so through a branded content partnership, we were able to do that. I like to contribute a lot of that type of thinking to us being a part of the meta branded content partnership that was, you know, put together by the uh, local media association. We went through that BIPOC boot camp for, I would say, maybe 10 months where we were just like drilled into like, how do you create, you know, content that's based on audience demand? It's based on, you know, things that would appeal, if you will, to your readership. And then there's this marriage of the resource to do that and your ability to. And so those are the types of collaborations that we typically seek out. Another one that I think about, if I can, is, you know, we're working right now with the North Carolina Museum of Art to highlight Black artists and Black curators and Black galleries across North Carolina. The partnership there comes because one of the most prominent African-American artists, Ms. Ruth E. Carter, who's, you know, a two-time Academy Award winning artist, history maker, her artwork, her costume designs are right now on exhibition at the North Carolina Museum of Art. And knowing that we approached and said, hey, we've got an audience. We've got an opportunity here to not only highlight the work of Miss Ruthie, but also at that same moment, put as parallel on that stage, other artists that are out here doing some substantial and amazing things that we should be talking about. And so those are the types of partnerships and relationships that we like to build that lead to, you know, revenue generation and sponsor type opportunities. Yeah. And people don't always, I mean, they're not always thinking about the idea of deal with a partnership. It also has to do with, you know, it's like my mom used to say, show me your friends and I'll show you who you are, you know, who you associate with people who like you and you introduce them to new people and to new concepts and, you know, new partners, then suddenly, you know, Hey, I like them too. And, and who are their friends and how can I get to know them? 
you know, growing your partnerships and growing your engagement, but also sort of expanding the scope of your your audience and the, substan- the substantial li- lifestyle that they're pursuing. It's interesting you say that simply because I literally just said earlier today in a meeting, the old nursery rhyme of my friends are your friends and your friends are my friends. And the more we get together, the happier we'll be. The only thing I changed was the more influence we'll have. Right. I was like, your friends are my friends and my friends become your friends. And the more we get together, the more influence that we have. And everybody bust out and went to laughing. And I was like, no, it's true. Like, I promise you. And so you describing it that way made me think about that. Well, I, yeah, I think my mom told me that so that I wouldn't hang around with, you know, the wrong type of people. So uh, that's it. That's, but it. I, that's I, true, I, though. I t- yeah. But I took it to mean that, well, these are my friends and I want to be associated with them. I like them. This is who I am. And yes, there's a lot of truth to that. So tell me about some of the wins you've had, the substantial has had. You know, I know we've sort of been talking about that as some of the partnerships, but, you know, what things can you point to that say, yeah, this is something we've accomplished and I think this is putting us in the right direction? I'll share, I think, the examples that I just gave around partnering with, you know, institutions and organizations that have a long standing history of, you know, providing a particular service or, you know, doing a particular thing in our communities. That has been so vital to our success. Not to go back on it, but I, I think about the African American Alliance of CDFI CEOs. That partnership and opportunity led to us working with other financial institutions like Town Bank, Carolina Small Business Development Fund, all organizations here in North Carolina working to help. African-American or have a mission, a focus, an initiative to help African-American business owners in communities of color. And so it's those types of partnerships and relationships that lend themselves to us then being able to say, hey, we're now working with Town Bank on an Excel series, which is a series of webinars to kind of help increase financial literacy and build, if you will, generational wealth within Black and Brown communities in hopes to close the wealth gap. Right. So through these very cause oriented types of opportunities, we've been able to partner with folks that are looking to help do that. Another one that comes to mind for me is when we start to think about just trending and what's happening, not only in North Carolina, but in other spaces, whether it be political discourse and divide and or just in general, some of the most recent news around hate crimes and things of that nature. We just received a federal grant to work partnership with Futures Without Violence to talk about just the experience of being Black in the South, the experience of dealing with racism and the challenges and traumas that come along with that. So that's a huge win for us because it gives us now an opportunity to introduce ourselves in another space, right? We have some traditional verticals of business and, you know, social justice and advocacy, community, arts and culture, but it gives us the ability to go more in depth and have conversations with people and provide resources even, right? We're now working with the North Carolina Department of Justice. And I'm like, wow, we're, you know, we're a magazine, like in a way by which we're saying we want to build awareness. As I mentioned to you, these are things that are affecting our communities of color and we want to talk about them. But we don't want to just talk about them in a way that's very news oriented. We want to, in long form, say, hey, here's who this person is. Here's what this person has experienced. And here are the things that we're doing as a community to wrap around and ensure that they're beginning to understand how substantial they are, their life, their legacy, their story to our community. Does that make sense? 
Yeah, I think that type of approach, that type of content, this long form that, that people can be associated with, I mean, a lot of people are hungry for that. I know that a lot of the news is all around video clips and quick little bites of the news, but in actuality, you know, people want to hear stories about people who are like them, who are succeeding, but also maybe reflect the experiences that they've had. You know, I asked a question about wins. What failures have you had or opportunities to learn? Maybe that's a good way to put it. And, you know, and how have you taken those lessons and pivoted? No, that's a great reflective question. And when I think about it, wow, there have certainly been a lot of <laughs> a lot of no's, a lot of failures, a lot of challenges and hurdles to overcome. But when I think back on it, we've been able to do a number of really great things, but a lot of those great things have come in more recent times, right? You know, it's like some people see all the shine, but never understood like what it took to polish it. And so for me, it's it's been kind of failing forward and failing fast. The worst thing, you know, I always tell my team what we can do is make countless mistakes and never take the small things that have contributed to our success or the things that we've done wrong that can help us continuously enhance and deliver great content. So a huge lesson, if I'm thinking back on it, since we've even connected with table stakes and the work that we're doing there and other strong, you know, media presences across North Carolina has been to think that, like, don't think we have to do this ourselves, right? It doesn't necessarily have to be for us, by us all the time. And in the spirit of true collaboration and, you know, how are we utilizing technology in others' expertise to create and craft and be effective and efficient with our storytelling. Case in point, you know, we've partnered with a really, really great white-led mainstream, if you will, predominant media outlet here in North Carolina that has helped us tremendously in our storytelling ability. And that's been a win for us, you know, where initially the failure was thinking that we had to go out and do all of this work alone, right? We didn't have the capacity. We didn't have the knowledge, the expertise. We didn't have the necessary technologies and platforms. And immediately when we kind of, if you will, shed that mentality and mindset, we were able to really create some effective and strong partnerships and relationships that have helped us tremendously in that ability to do that. Another one has been, you know, just we can't be all things to all people. Right. You know, when I think about it, there are some specific verticals that we have, but through a process of really just defining our own goals and what are some of the KPIs, the, the key performance indicators that will kind of help us get there. We've been able to narrow down our content offerings and, and the work and the stories that we tell to engage our audience. And what we're seeing is that through, you know, surveying and assessing story performance through web and social that those types of things are working and helping us to build a real brand reputation for having, you know, good quality, relatable content. I mean, all those things lead to money, right? They lead to more opportunity. And if you will, if I can, as, as you know, a famous uh, Oprah said, like, don't worry so much about the success, but work toward being significant and the success will naturally follow. And so that's what we've been able to do and kind of pivot, if you will. I've been talking to Greg Hedgepath, president and CEO of Substantial Media LLC, about the recent report he wrote for Better News. Greg, thanks for coming on the Better News podcast. Thank you for having me. This was awesome. Thanks for listening to Better News, a co-production of the American Press Institute and It's All Journalism. API's Better News initiative offers strategies and case studies to help transform newsrooms. You can find out more about the Better News initiative 
and this podcast at betternews.org.